Welcome back to the Decipher Podcast. I'm here with my colleague, Lindsay O'Donnell-Welch. We're here to sort of break down what was a pretty crazy 24 to 36 hours in the security news world. Um, I'm just thankful this happened yesterday, Lindsay, and not Friday as we're recording this, which is usually when this stuff happens in security. Knock on wood. I know. Yeah. Well, I'm just going to turn my laptop off after this. And if, yeah. if things happen on Friday, too, too bad. I'm sorry. Like, I can't help you. Exactly. Uh, so th there were several big stories that um, that happened. So I think we're going to talk about two or three of them. The one that I think was the most interesting to me, honestly, was the detailed blog post that Microsoft put out. I think it was Thursday morning or maybe Wednesday evening about their completed investigation into how some Chinese-backed attackers stole a signing key uh, from them earlier this summer. I believe it was in July. And, you know, they disclosed it at the time. They said that some of their enterprise customers had been targeted. I think some U.S. government agencies as well. Uh, their Office 365 and Outlook 365 installations had been hit. Uh, and everybody at the time was like, well, wait a second, how they get the signing key? Th those kind of things are usually protected. They're on machines that don't have Internet access. They're, you know, they have all the protections you would think of in like war games or something like that. So how did it get? how did they get it? And they came out with this blog post and it essentially came down to literally just this cascading list of failures. You know, you wrote the story. So did, what did you think when you, when you saw what they came out with? Yeah, it was really interesting. Cause as you said, it was really, it was like a series of different failures and errors that it was just, just kind of happened in, in this um, really randomized process but then also yeah. there was a compromised microsoft engineer account and that's how the attackers were able in the end to access it um so it there was kind of a lot there that all just collected and uh it's it's not like it was like a clear-cut path like they did this they did that they did this right um so but essentially what happened was that um there was a system crash in April 2021, and that led to the um, the crash dump file. Um, there was a race condition that allowed the key to be in that um, file, and usually those keys aren't in the files. Um, right. Because of this condition, it was in there, and then um, from there, uh, the file was moved from the production network, which is usually really like highly isolated and restricted into the debugging environment, which is on an internet connected corporate network. Um, so <laughs> after that happened, um, all of these like tiny errors that Microsoft says has now, it has now corrected at this point um, after the fact, um, the, uh, the account that um, was belonging to the Microsoft engineer was compromised. And through that account, um, attackers were able to access that, that crash dump file that contained the key. So it's not like, like I said, it's not like a clear cut thing. Like there were yeah, all not at all. errors, like a thousand different little, little yep. paper cuts there. And 
you know, I, I think it's really interesting. Um, the big question that I saw a lot of people kind of speculating about on um, Twitter or X um, was that <laughs> um, was, you know, did attackers just get like insanely lucky here? Or was this something where, you know, they were already kind of sifting through these, these files and kind of had some sort of understanding that maybe this might be an opportunity. Um, so I mean, obviously, I'll never know. But I thought that was kind of an interesting aspect to all of this. That's the thing that struck me immediately, honestly, was as soon as you sort of read through and you see what the chain of events was, and that that initial crash you said was in April 2021. Microsoft first detected this in July of this year. So that's more than two years that, you know, so, but we don't know exactly when, you know, the attackers figured out what they had, you know, it, it could have only been in July. It could have been a two year process for them to be like, Oh shit. Now we know what this, what this key signs. And now we can go back and reverse engineer it and, figure out how we can, you know, get into some customer's account or something like that. It does seem like a combination of extreme bad luck on Microsoft's part and extreme good luck on, on the adversary's part. And then probably some very hard work on the adversary's part, I would think too. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's so true. And what's interesting is when I was writing this story up, I was trying to be like very, um, like, active and how I chose my wording because I didn't want it to sound like, you know, attackers were, you know, actively hunting out this key or anything. But, you know, it could have potentially, like you said, like just been an opportunity, like extremely bad luck on Microsoft's end and extremely good luck on the attacker's end. So, yeah. I I think that's what it comes down to, honestly. And I mean, I, I was texting with a few researchers yesterday about it and that seemed to be the consensus was, you know, a combination of very bad luck and very good luck and some insanely hard work from the, from the attackers, which, you know, um, if they're, I think Microsoft identified them as a a Chinese government backed group, you know, it's, it's a group that they track and other research teams track. So we know they're well-resourced and not, not lazy and not stupid. So, um, Mm -hmm. you know, yeah, it was a, it's a crazy story though. I, I read through their research four or five times before I really got the sequence of events and I'm still not, completely sure I understand what happened. Yeah. Yeah. And one other kind of uh, interesting angle to all of this story too, is just like the greater ripple effect that this has had in the security space. And I know that, you know, we've had uh, Ron Wyden like talking a bit about, um, you know, how companies need to take responsibility for securing their platforms and the um, cyber safety review board uh, also announced that it would be looking into this as part of kind of um, cloud security and things like that. So um, I, it's just interesting to see how this plays out. And um, obviously Microsoft is trying to be very transparent because of the pushback that it's getting. And uh, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I think that that looming CSRB uh investigate investigation i don't know if that's the right word but review um is probably hanging over their their heads as well because i know a few of the folks that are on that board and they're not gonna they're not gonna take it easy i don't think yeah so um so another one of the stories that i think was really interesting especially from an enterprise perspective is uh yesterday the Department of Treasury and the Department of Justice, as well as an agency in the UK, announced some sanctions against 
some alleged members of the TrickBot malware group, which uh, everybody is sort of known was affiliated with the Russian intelligence services. And actually, the the, the same agency had, agencies had sanctioned a separate, I think, seven other alleged members of the TrickBot group about seven or eight months ago, back in February. Um, but yesterday, in the new announcements, they they were very explicit and said the TrickBot group is tied to Russian intelligence. They said it two or three times in the press releases, which is extremely unusual. I don't think I've ever seen that before. Uh, usually they have very you know specific coded language that you can read into, uh, but I, don't, I can't recall ever seeing that before. So that was one part of it, which it was interesting to me. And, and the other part is this, if you're an enterprise that gets hit by a TrickBot, you know, ransomware, you know, TrickBot affiliated ransomware, which has been, you know, Conti, Ryuk, uh, Bizarre Loader, a whole bunch of other ransomware groups, you essentially cannot pay that ransom without running into your own legal problems with the US government, which is not what you want. Uh, because now that these people and entities are designated, that means you cannot have financial dealings with them, which is an interesting problem if you're an enterprise victim in these cases. Yeah, that that stuck out to me too, because just the pace that the US government has been rolling out these sanctions seems like it's been accelerating. And I'm really curious what we'll see over the next few years in terms of if uh, that is going to have a profound impact on, you know, the um, whether businesses are you know, how they'll pay or, you know, if they can't pay what that means. And yeah, it, it's just an interesting part of the whole like to pay or not to pay question that uh, we've always had with, with the ransomware um, threat. And um, I do feel like we're seeing a lot more of these these sanctions. It's definitely yeah. one method that the um, government has has really fully embraced in, in addition to um, kind of the, the charges that it had unveiled, too. But like sanctions are like an actionable thing that, right. you know, have more of an impact for the, the, the victims, I would say, but also like do have an impact on on the um, the threat threat groups as well. Yeah, because I mean, there were also indictments yesterday from the Department of Justice. But I mean, unless <laughs> these people make really silly mistakes, they're never going to see the inside of a U.S. courtroom, you know, unless they decide to go on vacation in Santorini, which some of these people sometimes do, or get on a cruise ship uh, in the Mediterranean. That does happen. But um, otherwise, they're, you know, it's the financial ramifications that really have the the most effects i think in some cases um but yeah you're right Lindsay. the um the justice and treasury are not messing around the last couple of years they've been very very aggressive with this kind of stuff not just with trickbot but a bunch of other ransomware groups and other cybercrime groups really going after them with the financial end of this trying to disrupt the payment ecosystem which is really the i think the biggest hammer that they have yeah, definitely. And then, and one other thing that's not really related, but I do, I love looking through the um, sanctions and kind of the indictments and just knowing what they know and better understanding how these groups work. Um, yeah. Like they were naming these people, but also saying specifically what they were doing um, within kind of the trick bot 
um, syndicate. And it reveals a lot of how these operations work and what goes on be, be, uh, behind the scenes. And um, so, I, you know, th- those are just always really interesting from a threat intel perspective to, yep. to better understand kind of what's going on um, behind the scenes there. I love that too. And what, one of the people that was sanctioned yesterday, they listed as an HR manager for for the group, which like <laughs> yeah. really kind of caught me. I was like, okay, this guy's an analyst. Here's a coder. Here's a developer. Here's the HR manager. Like, I guess, you know, the people got to be paid. They got to, you know, take time off. They, they need yeah. to know all that kind of stuff. If they're going to get, uh, yeah, how else are they going to put in for PTO? You know, Right. <laughs> Someone's got to take care of that stuff. It's, yeah. yeah. Um, they're probably not using Workday. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so th- I think the last thing I wanted to talk about with you was the um, Apple security bulletin yesterday, which was tied to a, a new Citizen Lab report that also came out yesterday about a couple of iOS zero days, uh, one of which Citizen Lab found uh, and the other of which Apple listed as internally found. So my educated guess is that, you know, Citizen Lab found this one, disclosed it to Apple, and then the Apple engineers sort of looked and found another bug that had been used in the same attack chain uh, mm-hmm. along the way. But anytime Citizen Lab puts out one of these reports, it's always kind of chilling because it's usually a victim. You know, it's usually a journalist or somebody else in civil society, you know, civil rights workers, human rights workers, sometimes diplomats that get hit with these. And these are, I think in this case, it was a zero click uh, exploit chain, which essentially means you probably the victim probably got a text message or some other notification that was silenced and it triggered the the exploit for the bug on their on their iPhone which is you know a pretty terrifying uh, scenario when you think about it yeah yeah you know to your point about um, citizen lab like when I was reading the initial disclosure from Apple was you know, pretty, pretty brief as Apple does, like when it's, yeah. news, um, you know, they'll have the CVE, they'll say, you know, what the bug is and how they mitigated it, but not too much else. But then when I saw the Citizen Lab uh, reporting credit, I, I was like, oh, no. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. um, and then, yes, and Citizen Lab basically was saying that um, they found the flaw initially when they were working with a, um, an employee of a civil society organization. So you can kind of get the sense that this was like something that was, um, is probably like highly targeted, but also because it is a zero click uh, exploit chain, like this is something that you do, you know, people are going to want to go update, um, you know, probably pretty soon, um, probably immediately. (laughs) Yeah. um, Yeah. That's the point I always try to make is you always see the headlines that are like, you know, patch your Apple devices right now, like drop everything and go do it. But when you read through this, this is literally one person that had been targeted with this, you know, hopefully they found it early on in the use of this, this attack chain. But for people, you know, regular people watching or listening to this, they are likely not the victims of this kind of high end attack chain. But once this stuff gets out in the wild, other, uh, other bad guys can reverse engineer it, see what the problem was, see where the bug was, maybe find other bugs, that kind of stuff. So yeah, it's always worth keeping your Apple devices up to date. That's for sure. And I think they did say later in the day, they added something to the Citizen Lab report saying that if you have lockdown mode enabled on your iPhone, it does break this um, attack chain, which is great. Mm-hmm. But you know, lockdown mode is pretty restrictive 
And I don't know if you've ever turned it on. I had it on for a couple of days and then I was just kind of like this, <laughs> this device is not usable, yeah. you know, but I, I mean, that's, that. yeah. it's, it's for, you know, high value targets. If you think or know that you're targeted with this kind of stuff, lockdown mode is for you, but otherwise, you, you know, it's, it's very restrictive. Right. Yeah. I don't know if like the normal like iPhone consumer is necessarily going to have <laughs> lockdown. No, I hope not. Yeah. So. <laughs> no. All right. Well, it was a busy week that was compressed into about 36 hours. So it was always interesting. I'm just glad it didn't happen on a summer Friday. Uh, yep. And Patch <laughs> Tuesday around the corner too. Oh, good. Great. Yeah. Awesome. Good. I'll rest up this weekend. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Lindsay. Talk to you soon. All right. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Oh, you were.